Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ballon de David Wisson. Oui, Bellerin qui s'est engagé sur l'aile droite. Le centre en retrait de Bellerin pour Aubameyang qui a raté la reprise. Et le Nini but Is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, good evening to you. How are you? Good evening, indeed. Sorry. I think it's a good evening, isn't it? We won a football match. Yeah. We take them where we can get them. Exactly. I am stirring the arse end of a caipirinha with a big biro. So, you know, life doesn't get any sweeter than that. Wow. That is pretty glamorous. It is. It is. Uh, I mean, I don't want to like, I don't want to rub it in people's faces or anything. But hey, which end of the big pyro? Oh, the the you know the bit with the bit in the top that you chew out and then you sort of chew on yeah, in class. Yeah. You know that bit, not the not the inky bit, the other bit. Cool, not the nib. Never lend me a big pyro because I will chew the lid. It's a good life lesson. Well, I mean, I could lend you it, but I certainly wouldn't then put it in my own mouth afterwards, after I took it back. I don't think you'd want it back at all. Right. I'll be honest with you. That bad, eh? Yeah. Chewing plastic, it's going to end badly for me, I'm sure, but I can't get enough of it. Okay. Well, look, you know. (laughs) Everyone's got their vice, I guess. This is true. I mean, this could be the next step in human evolution. (laughs) You're there with your caipirinha. I've just got a a bin full of biros. (laughs) I'm just... Chomping down on them. Tearing the tearing podcast. strips off a Tesco bag going, mmm, Kieran Tierney was right. Delicious. Mm. Perfect pre-match meal. So how's it going? How was your, uh, your day? How was your, how's your mood? You know, Arsenal have won a game of football. That's nice. Yeah. I, to be honest, um, it's slightly paled into... Well, I'm not going to say insignificance, but I was quite looking forward to seeing what happened in the United-Liverpool game afterwards. But I've just been following mm. that, really, and all the fallout from that. I mean, it's been yeah. it's made for interesting television in the UK, if nothing else. It has. I think we've got a question or two about that. So we might come yeah. back to it in, in part we two. Will. But certainly it's uh, it was very interesting to see that go down. And uh, we were going out for a walk with the dogs. Uh, and I said to Mrs. Bloggs, like, they, they're never going to postpone the match. They won't postpone the match. That there's just no way they'll give in to the protests and then came back in and it was like postponed. I was like, ooh, ooh. So it's uh, it's been a tasty afternoon in terms of protest and I guess in some ways a tasty afternoon on the pitch. Arsenal won, kept the clean sheet. We had some uh, some positive aspects to the game, one or two little negatives along the way. But all in all, I suppose... 
when you're trying to respond to the disappointment of Thursday and build something ahead of next Thursday, this wasn't mm. bad. No, it ticked a good few of the boxes, didn't it? Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. minutes in some legs for some important players. Uh, a goal for Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, which was very mm. welcome. Um, some encouraging performances from, you know, a few of the rotated players. So, yeah, yeah. I, I think in a lot of respects it was good. I mean, the only the only real drawback probably was the injury suffered by David Luiz. Um, other than that, it kind yeah. of, we got everything we needed. Can I ask you about David Luiz? Because a thought crossed my mind today when I was watching the first half and he was, mm. you know, you could see immediately that he brought something to the team that we haven't had. Yeah. Right? So the pass, obviously, for Hector uh, Bayern to get down the side and, and it comes, uh, leads to the first goal. Good pass mm-hmm. over the top. Good, you know, good pass. few times he switched it out to Gabriel Martinelli over yeah, on the left-hand yeah. side. Yeah, showing off with some of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Those. But, you know, and I was thinking, it's amazing that David Luiz makes such a difference to the team. And I don't mean this in any way disrespectfully to David Luiz, right? Mm-hmm. Do you not feel, and I, this is something I feel quite strongly, that I, what David Luiz does is something that pretty much anybody who plays football for a living should be able to do. You know what I mean? In that, like, okay... He's hit a nice ball down the line, 40 yards, whatever it is, over the top for Hector Bellerin to run onto. I mean, it's nice, but it ain't some kind of fucking triple drag back, double Salco, flip flappy Ronaldinho move, right? It's literally kicking a football in the right direction with the right amount of power on it. Similarly, the cross field passes to Gabriel Martinelli. I know the, you know, there's accuracy and there's weight of pass and everything else. But it's, you know, is it not a shocking indictment on the rest of football that David Luiz's passing ability appears to be much better than pretty much 95% of other footballers? That's an interesting question. I guess I've not really thought of it like that. <laughs> I, I mean, I, so what I would say is probably my favourite and I think the best Arsenal centre-half of this century is probably Sol Campbell, right? And he definitely couldn't do those things. No. So I think where I think the reason it's unusual is that I don't think I don't think it's typical of a centre half to be able to play those passes. I think players with that level of technical ability, when they kind of go through academies and mm. things get sorted out and they get put in a position, typically end up in other parts of the pitch. And I, I think that's why he feels anomalous, maybe. Because right. I don't... Okay. Uh, there are, yeah, yeah, of that course, makes, some. Yeah, yeah. John Stones or whoever you want to... You know, there have always been people who could play at the back who could pass the ball. Mm. But I think he is unusual because of the position he plays and thus maybe the position he's playing those passes from. I agree. If a central midfielder pulls that pass out, it's not necessarily something to write home about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, yeah, I suppose nice. that's a good explanation, yeah. Yeah, it'd be nice if all centre-halves could play the ball like that. But I don't think the the others we've got can. No, that's very true. I don't think 
they can. Certainly, you know, Rob Holding can't. I don't think Pablo Marie can, even though he's, uh, you know, he's, he, he tries the long ball. Gabriel tries the long ball quite a bit. Uh, they tend to, to play a lot more straight line long balls, whereas Louise's, you know, diagonal, the cross field diagonal, uh, you know, is a really good pass and it, it opens up space. But I do wonder, you know, uh, was it Michael Cox who made the point in his book that when the back pass law changed, you know, goalkeepers couldn't pick yeah. up the ball anymore. It ushered in a new era of, of goalkeeping, which we're still seeing. We're still seeing the development of that position because now to be a top class goalkeeper, You've got to be able to do all the traditional goalkeeper things, the catching, the punching, the stopping, the penalty saving, mm. the you know, all of that. But also you have to be able to play with the ball at your feet. So I do wonder if in some way there might be, as modern football progresses, and you need a central defender to do some of what David Luiz can do on the ball, if we might see a little bit more of that from defenders going forward. Yeah, I think we're starting to see it a little bit already, but I think you're right. In terms of sort of the selection and the way in which those players are profiled, it feels like it's going in one direction. And maybe it has to an extent already. It's actually one of the reasons that I was sort of quite pleasantly, not surprised, but I was intrigued to see how Callum Chambers fared mm. as the right side of the centre-half because I feel like he's got a range of passing that maybe Rob Holding hasn't. You yeah. Know? Um, so I'd be curious to see how he does there. But it's, it's a good point about Luis because it, it did stand out, didn't it? From the yeah. minute the game started, you were like, oh, this makes a big mm. difference, actually. Um, how, how do you view the, the injury? Is this just an unfortunate consequence of him being out for a while and, and coming back in? I mean, it's not as if this game was one that was played at end to end pace it was it was a training game at times Newcastle yeah. were a team that looked like they felt pretty safe or they feel pretty safe in terms of their own Premier League future you know uh, this wasn't the the game that they absolutely had to get something from to survive yeah. so it was nice for us to be able to arrange a friendly in between two important <laughs> European games it's a shame Fabian yeah. Shaw didn't get the memo but other yeah. than that a nice friendly game no, uh, yeah that, it was they were the perfect opponent in some ways, weren't they? Yeah, they were. I mean, they let us have lots of the ball, lots of passes. I, I mean, I don't know how many passes we made in the game. I'm sure it, it was a lot. I should look yeah. it up now. Uh, I don't know if I can look it up now because uh, uh, maybe we I made can. we made a, uh, a lot of passes. I mean, I saw that you know both Shaka and Sabios, I think, were in the high 80s in terms of passes. That right. Played. Okay. So, so yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of ball dominance. Um, there certainly was. Yeah, and and like they weren't that interested in trying to attack. Um, you know, the Saint had a few little fun moments along the way, but that was yeah. that was kind of it. Um, and yeah, you're right. It was the perfect opponent. So you know, with with regards to Louise. Arteta said afterwards something along the lines of he's pushed really hard to get himself back after the knee surgery maybe, you know, unwittingly, unknowingly on his part and on the part of the medical team, you know, the the absence that he had and the knee surgery, he just wasn't quite at 100%. And that's what that was the consequence today. I mean, that's pretty much if it's three weeks, that's pretty much season over uh, unless you be. make it to the final and you you can kind of get him back, maybe. It could be. I mean, 
it's tricky, isn't it? Because uh, I sort of hesitate to say this because there might be an actual final, but Thursday feels a bit like a final. Mm. You know, certainly our season's on the line. And so I can see why they hurried Louise back. You know, we're talking about the difference that he can make. And I, I think it would have been risky to throw him into that game without any game time. So yeah. I can understand the decision to play him. I'm not too critical of that. I guess it's just a gamble that yeah. backfired. Yeah. And maybe we have to accept that, you know, when a guy is 34 and you hurry him back from injury, there might be repercussions to that. Yeah, I, I wasn't being critical. I was just trying to, you know, find an explanation yeah. as to, to why it happened. I, I agree. My reaction to the injury is one of sort of thinking, well, we have to learn something from it. I think we have to look at it and go, well, this is a guy who has missed games this season for mm. physical problems. He's not played as often as he did last year. You know, he's not going to get fitter, stronger, healthier at 34. Mm. I, I think it's, it, it, to me, it was sort of, it was interesting because in the first half, I was marvelling at the difference he made and thinking, if this guy is available Thursday, he's absolutely got to play. Yeah. But, but then he goes off injured and but and sort of on the other side of the coin, it makes you think. I'm not sure we should be spending the kind of money on wages that would cost to keep him here beyond the summer. It is you it know? is a really weird one because you know for all the reasons you say his age um, and everything that's sort of happened during his time here. Like if the club made the decision to say, "Well, no, we're not giving you a new deal." You, could, you can completely understand it. And there'd be people who'd be quite happy with that and other people who, you know, can see what he brings to the team, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, yeah. on paper, at the moment, he is our best central defender. Now, that is that tells you something about our squad, for sure. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it's still a reality. It's still a, a fact uh, yeah. to go all Rafa Benitez on it. It is a bit of a fact. So it's a, it's a difficult one. But, yeah, you know... A lot of injuries this season, um, you know, in Premier League, I think he's played five games, six games in a row, but he's been suspended, he's been injured, he's been ill. Like a few of them, like the head injury, for example, he got against Wolves. That's yeah, not I, that's not a consequence of old age or anything like that. But No. And he's been rotated in and out. You know, he's not played every game. There was a period early in the season where Holding and Gabriel looked mm. like a partnership for a time. And I think maybe Mick Arteta's consciously tried to kind of decrease the dependency on him, uh, maybe mindful of his age and who knows what the future holds. But it, it is a tricky one. I agree that if you average out the performances, he probably is our best central defender. And I think if you ask me right now, mm. I would say, I hope he can get back in time for the final. I hope we're in the final and I hope yeah. he plays. If we get there, that is a bridge we have to cross on Thursday. Okay, well, look, that was the downside of of today's game. The upside, I mean, without going overboard, clearly uh, El Neni becoming the new uh, Frank Lampard. Uh, goal scoring <laughs> and then his goal scoring run continues yeah, yeah. <laughs> ah, look a good finish a good finish from him and I think you know it was uh, there was a moment in that move where I think Aubameyang's rustiness showed but yeah. thankfully El Neni was there it was a good finish he really enjoyed the goal uh, obviously he uh, 
he was delighted with himself afterwards. <laughs> yeah, and everyone was delighted for him. Yeah. I mean, he's he's a very popular guy, clearly, within the squad. Mm. Nice pass from Louise, as we said. Be- Bellerin, I think, does really well and, you know, overlaps, pulls it back. Aubameyang misses it, but it's a good finish from Elneddy. I mean, it's hard to be critical, isn't it? This is a player who we know has spent time working on his shooting and his finishing and it's paying dividends. I mean, sort of fair enough, isn't it? Well, yeah, yeah. That's sort of what they should all be doing in a way. Yeah, this thing well, that I'm not very good at. going to Steve Rowley's shooting session? Steve Round. Steve, Steve Round. I always say Steve Rowley every time. But yeah, why aren't they all going? You know, it'd be nice. Well, I mean, look, <laughs> he's clearly not got around to Thomas Partey yet, so uh, the quicker he does that, the better. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 yeah, <laughs> Thomas Partey conspicuous by his absence from those sessions, it seems. <laughs> uh, but look, good to score early, and I think that, you know, did it change the game hugely? I don't think it changed Newcastle's sort of approach. ended the game, really. Yeah. <laughs> As far as I can tell. Yeah, like they didn't do a lot. They had that one that one shot that looped up. I don't quite know how he did it, Sam Maximan. I don't know how. No, did he kick it, it off like, his standing foot or something? It was but. sort of like the Ozil thing, but taken to, you know, extreme <laughs> dimensions. Yeah, he yeah, sort yeah. of kicked it into the ground. It flew up. Um, but that was about it in terms of their threat. I mean, they were better in the second half, but we threatened a couple more times in the first half, certainly. I mean... 10 or 12 attempts in the first half, which is, you know, like they weren't clear-cut or massive chances, but, you know, for a team where one of the criticisms has been, you know, we don't make enough chances or don't take enough shots, you know, that's that's a positive. We ended up taking close to 20, I think, in the game. Okay. Um, I mean, Shaka had a decent one from the edge of the box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, That was palmed away, and then from the resulting corner, Elneny, very close to a second. Oh, yeah, cleared off the line. That's right, yeah. Yeah. Now Nenny Brace, almost. <laughs> Would have been quite something. Um, but yeah, I mean, we were very dominant. and I think we Newcastle. controlled it, didn't we? I mean, that's the, the, the thing. We controlled the game. Yeah, yeah. I think they were certainly as bad as we were good. Do you know what I mean? I think it was yeah. as much about their passivity um, as anything else. I was t- texting a friend who's a Newcastle fan and they were saying, you'll soon realise our tactic is give it St. Maximan and hope something happens and that's all we've got. And <laughs> that was kind of exactly how it played out, to be honest. Yeah. he. Yeah, look, we were talking about him on the preview podcast on Patreon. He's, he's a fun player and thankfully he wasn't much fun today for anybody, yeah. so that's good. He Arteta can- would hate him, I imagine. He was. He's got like, you know, I, I'd be fascinated to see how he would handle managing a player who is, seems kind of as, as individualistic as that. Um yeah. But he's fun to watch for for a neutral, for, for sure. For a neutral, yeah, 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 that's for sure. So, look, um, Granit Xhaka got a yellow card on 20 minutes there, there. Yeah, what was it for, the first one? He kicked the legs out of whoever it was. Could have been sure. San Maximan, actually. Trademark, trademark Xhaka. Just a bit of a kind of, ah, fuck it, I'll give him a kick. The ball's gone, but I'll just sweep him anyway. Why not? You know, yeah. There's loads of time to go. Are you a yellow card? Sure, why not? I'll it's not go. like I'm playing out position or up against a tricky <laughs> winger. This will be fine. So he got the yellow card, and I was like, okay, right. Well, just get to halftime, Granite and Mikel Arteta. Having seen what happened on Thursday in uh, in Villarreal, 
knowing that Granite doesn't really need to do 90 minutes against Newcastle anyway. Going to keep him fresh for Thursday, considering he's probably going to have to play uh, mm. left back. Just take him off. You know, learn the lesson. Take him off. It's fine. You can stick Cedric on. It won't make any difference against this Newcastle team. It'll be grand. But he didn't. <laughs> no. And no. Uh, I said on uh, on Twitter, uh, you know, he should take him off. But I put the 54th minute as Granite Xhaka's uh, second yellow card. You were close. I was very fucking close. It had just gone into the 55th minute when he made... <laughs> what the, why? How can you describe that foul? How did... I mean, mischievous? I mean, stupid might be another way of putting it because it's Mike Dean. But it was like he could easily just have not done what he did, yeah. but he did it anyway. He had to have forgotten that he was on a booking, I think. How? Or, or just, you can't. You can't forget. You don't, surely. Surely at half-time. Well, you'd like to think at half-time you're having it drilled into you. Look, be careful. And, and Don't I think be Danny Ceballos. Whatever yeah. you do, don't be Danny. Danny pleading with Granite, saying, learn from my mistakes. Um, yeah, I... I <sighs> I was curious, to be honest, that Shaka played... Did he play the full 90 in the end? Yeah. I was curious about that anyway, to be honest with you, because we are asking a lot of him, and I know I'm touching wood as I say this, but there's this kind of unwritten thing that he's somehow immune to injury. Um, but in terms of the physical demands of the, the role and just wanting to rotate and freshen things up, and the fact he was on a booking, I was surprised Arteta didn't bring him off do you um, do you think that his use there today was because he's going to play there on on thursday because i think that the post-match update from Mikel arteta afterwards uh on well, it's actually pre-game he was talking about kieran tierney i don't know if you saw that no i didn't see that he, he pre-game he because it, it really foxed me he was like yeah, Lacazette and Tierney aren't training with us yet, so... How was he in like... contention for Thursday? For last week? Know. How was he in contention? That was just bullshit then. That was kind yeah. of mind games for, for Unai Emery. It feels like it. Because mm. he seemed quite sort of dejected talking about it today. Unless this is the bullshit. But... <laughs> Didn't think of that. The old double bullshit bluff. The old one-two. Exactly. But I think... If we if we take Mikel Arteta at his word and think Kieran Tierney's not playing, it's a really, really uh, tricky one. And the reason I think it's tricky is this. Obviously, you've not got Danny Sabayas on Thursday. Mm. And I'm not sure that Mohamed Elneny can quite play the role that Sabayas is supposed to have done in terms of, like, yeah. pl playing out on the flank quite a lot, you know? Yeah, so mm, it is a tricky one, but we've we've got questions about our team for for Thursday. Fine. So maybe we'll, we'll come we'll, on to that. So we'll come on uh, to on, that. On, yeah, okay, okay. We'll we'll set the left back thing to one side. I, I was surprised Cedric didn't play at left back. I'll say that much. Yeah, I I mean, I don't know what to say about Cedric. <laughs> Genuinely. <laughs> Genuinely, it's like, we're going to bring him in. He's going to be good competition for Hector Bellerin on the right-hand side. It's what Hector needs. He definitely needs it. And he's like, third choice right back. Mm. And then it's like, oh, one of the reasons we got him is because, you know, he's versatile. And he can play left back. And he's like, 
third choice left back. Not as well as Granite Shack. No, I mean, yeah. exactly. I mean, he can't play of, right back as well as Callum Chambers or left back as well as Granite Shaka. But apart from that, he's apart really from good. that, he's great. It's been an v- invaluable signing. It's like, what is going on here? Because like, I, 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 I understand to an extent Arteta's trust in Xhaka because I think if you're a manager and you have a player like Xhaka and you ask him to do something, he will do it for you. Mm. You know, he is that kind of... Look, he has his moments, but I think at the heart of it, he is a solid pro. You know, he's dedicated and for the most part, professional. <laughs> he has his, like yeah. I say, he has his moments. But I think if you're a manager and you say to him, look, I want you to like see that big fucking fence full of thistles over there i want you to mm. run into that head first and over and over he again it, he'll do he it. won't get injured yeah exactly there won't be a single what what are the things in spikes or spines yeah. what what do you call the things spines, in but even if there are he'll just pull them out yeah on he goes play on. yeah i mean every manager picks him you know exactly. so but but like you know in terms of his physical profile and what it means for the team because I think we have to like look at it in two ways. One is that a Granite Xhaka is at left back, and he's a big central midfield player who you then have to readjust your team around the fact that he's playing at left back, right? Mm. You're not asking him to do the left back job. You're asking him to do a specific job. You're offsetting some of the deficiencies that he has there in other areas of the pitch. And you're having to pick, a, you know, all. So there are many. It's not like just changing one thing. Like you could put Cedric in for Tierney. It won't be as good, but the rest of it is more or less the same, right? But mm-hmm. with Jacka there, you've got to like twiddle the zebel and make everything go all over the place to, to, to cope with what he can't do at left back. So does that not tell us a lot about Cedric? The thing is, I, I do remember Cedric having okay games at left. Yeah, he was okay. Yeah, he was fine. He had some okay uh, games. I remember one very good pass. I remember a couple of games where he had he made a couple of mistakes as well, but like nothing hugely egregious. There was one or two, but mm. like nothing so crazy that you know you think, well, this guy can never play for us again. But no. it appears we're in. He can never play for us again, territory. Because if he's not getting in the team for Newcastle, what the fuck? Yeah, like I say, I was surprised he didn't play. I remember him playing left back against Wolves, um, and certainly in the first half when we had a very good first half, he was good. I remember him playing there against Southampton and playing once quite badly, and then another time quite well in that position. Mm. Um, yeah, it is. The reluctance is a little curious at this point Mm. and it does raise questions as you say over exactly the use of the player I I completely understand having a versatile uh, player who can cover different positions but if you're not using him what's the fucking point Mm. what's the point if he's if he's so versatile he can't play anywhere that's Cedric's problem I'm looking for him anyway let's move off that and talk about something that really was positive and Gabriel Martinelli got a start on the left hand side yeah and it was good it was good I liked it I liked watching him I liked the way he tried to play I liked that you know there has been some discussion uh, or debate about you know Aubameyang and Martinelli in the same team the fact that he Mm. provided an assist for Aubameyang um you know, was was fantastic, but the mm-hmm. intent with which he plays, like this was this was the kind of performance that that uh, said, "Look, you've got to pick me more 
because look what I can do. Yeah. Did you see Artis's quotes after the game yeah, about how yeah, he yeah. loves Martinelli more than all of us? He <laughs> loves him so much, he likes having him next to him on the bench, I think, every single week. But it, it, it was um, a really good performance. I mean, I feel like we've said that a few times recently about Martinelli. It is that energy, that directness. Um, I loved the assist for the goal. It's a great goal, actually, all round, yeah. to be honest. Um, nice pass from Odegaard, who, a bit like against West Ham... You know, when he played the pass for Pepe to cross the ball with his right foot for mm. Lacazette's header, he kind of, it was a pass that told Martinelli what to do with it. You know, it, it was to his wrong side, ostensibly, yeah. but it put him in a position where it's like, okay, he, cross it first time. He Use made the, the decision for him, yeah. Yeah, I think he did. And it was a really good ball from Martinelli and a really good finish. I mean, that is a difficult, awkward take, I think, from Aubameyang. And he made it look very straightforward. He did. And yeah, look, okay, so there's there's two really positive things about this. That was Aubameyang's first goal since the 6th of March. Yeah. Which is, wow. I was looking it up, I was going, when's the last time he scored? And I had the Burnley game in my mind, but I thought, no, there must be something. There must be one I'm forgetting. So, you know, from a preparation point of view when it comes to Thursday, getting him minutes... Like, I thought it was important to start him today. I th- I saw some people saying, ah, you shouldn't be starting Aubameyang. But he's been out. He's had malaria. He's trying to rebuild match fitness and match sharpness. You know, I think if he'd taken him off 10 minutes before he scored the goal, I don't think anyone would really have complained because he was looking a bit tired. You know, he was uh, he started the game. He looked a bit rusty, obviously, with that, that moment early on. But I think that goal could be really, really important, really useful for for him. You know, on a personal level, those minutes will be useful. He looked pretty sharp. And like you say, that is a, you know, the movement to get in there, but then the the ability to adjust your body shape to meet that cross, because it was sort of halfway between uh, a foot and a head chance, if you know what I mean. It's great coordination and... Great movement, great finish. I really, really, really like that goal. I agree it could be really important for Aubameyang's confidence, you know, the way he feels. I mean, it has been a difficult period. I know he's not scored for a long time, as you point out, but he's been ill in that time. He's been punished by the coach, probably in that window as well, for being late. Um, There have been moments where it felt like he might have contributed more to the team. So that was a, a big moment for him. And with Lacazette struggling, he's... Nailed on, isn't he, to start Thursday? So, well, I think, well yeah, uh, I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> it's going to be Cedric actually <laughs> through the middle. Cedric um, is a false three. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I, I really like that goal, and also came at a point in the game. Newcastle had started the second half a little bit better. You know, they yeah, yeah. Were, I mean, it's all relative, but they were pressing our defenders a little bit more. Uh, they were a little bit more assertive, and so for us to get the second goal made the whole day very comfortable. That was what was unfamiliar about it, the comfort. It was. It was. Because, you know, there's a part of you when you're 1-0 up and you're looking at this team and you think, well, where is it coming from? Where is the mm-hmm. bomb going to drop today? How is it? <laughs> you, you, no, genuinely. Well, Granite Shaka did his best, obviously. He did. Um, fair play. Well done, Granite. 
But yeah, you do. And David Luiz obviously went off, which reduced the risk of him doing anything crazy. But uh, yeah, it, you did have that slight fear. Uh, yeah. of how are we going to make this I, hard for ourselves? I do wonder if that, you know, in some ways was, you know, the fact that Aubameyang was in the team, the fact that Luiz was in the team was part of why Arteta kept his substitutes in check a little bit. You know what I mean? Because you've got mm. two guys who've just come back and you may need to take them off. So if you take Shaka off at halftime, your your two substitutions maybe are predetermined. That's true. He's only got three to play within this yeah. game. You know, it's not like the European competitions. And, you know, I think Aubameyang coming off was always going to happen. Mm. You know, 78th minute, he came off for Pepe. Um, and then the final change was Odegaard coming off for Thomas Partey. I was a bit surprised that they use Thomas Partey at all, to be honest, but maybe they're just trying to keep some rhythm in him. How much rhythm do you get from five minutes? minutes. I was, I was a little bit, yeah, I was a little bit worried. And, you know, obviously as we saw right at the end, it only takes one idiot to lose his composure for Mm. a player to, to end up in bad shape. You know, that was Mm. a really bad challenge by Shar on on Martinelli. I think we had someone made an observation on the Discord. Uh, I put it in here. Where's my little thing of notes? Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, so, Jezbox says, was that the most pointless and worst tackle on an Arsenal player since Dan Smith on Diaby? And thankfully, it didn't have anywhere near the consequences of that. But, you know, that's what can happen in, in any moment of any game where a guy is frustrated and he just, you know, goes through the back of Martinelli, red card. Um, thankfully, he doesn't appear to be uh, injured by it. He did limp around a bit for the final few minutes of the game, didn't he? So when you, when you put yeah. someone like Partey on and you run the risk of something like that happening to him, it's hard to see why that was the change that was made. Yeah, um, yeah. Because who else Unless did Unless they have? felt... They, you know, the, I don't know how much difference that five minutes would make, but they wanted to get Odegaard off. I'm just looking at what else he had there. Well, he had Smith-Rowe, he had Saka. He had Eddie Nketiah, I suppose. You know, that would have been a risk-free change in some ways. Mm. Um, You know, and switch things around in the orientation of the front four. Really strange challenge that, wasn't it? In that there are times you see that in a game. Someone go through the back of somebody, but usually it's kind of earlier I think in a match it's often a centre half sort of mm. laying down a marker let him know, you know you're I mean? there yeah 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 I think uh, in a game that was dead that had been played at almost no pace anyway I thought it was a really sort of odd incident I, I wonder if there was something that preceded it or that maybe he was just very wound up that guy he'd, be, he'd come back from an absence hadn't he of a few weeks and now he's got another couple of weeks off yeah yeah, yeah. Maybe no. he just maybe he just really enjoyed his break, and he thought, yeah. "I fancy a bit more of that." I've bought myself a PS5. Do you know what I mean? I'm getting really <laughs> stuck into it. Getting the old Spider-Man on, yeah, for exactly. sure. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Shame to have all these football matches. I fancy another layoff. Yeah, I mean, I suppose the other thing to point out is that, you know, the. I think sometimes when challenges like that happen on a football pitch, the language of the commentary can be a bit too in favor of the guy who's made the challenge. Because what right. did what was it described as? 
naughty. Yes. You know what's naughty? Naughty is your four-year-old getting the crayons and drawing all over the walls before, you know, you get out of bed in the morning. That's naughty. Mm. That's an instant red from me. Yeah, yeah. well, 100%. Get to your room. You're not coming out. There was contact with the walls. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. He's got to go. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, why don't they call that kind of challenge exactly what it is reckless or dangerous or or you know they didn't yeah. use that kind of language today um yeah what what channel were you watching on uh, sky? sky yeah yeah i was too and also something else that slightly bugged me on that front was the commentary team really i mean listen granite shacker was lucky to not be sent off mm. but they sort of banged on about it as if he gets sent off every week which isn't actually accurate i think he's been sent off three times <laughs> three in his times yeah, what, five years here or whatever it is yeah. yeah it's not it's not quite as and not a lot recently so you know obviously there was the burnley incident but it's a bit of an unfair slightly harsh characterization for him and a very lenient characterization for fabian shah yeah what what was the guy he kept saying this is the world we're living in now wasn't that yeah, it? You know, <laughs> yeah. it's like oh he's fallen over this is the world we're living in now. Yeah, I think it was Don Goodman. <laughs> Don Goodman. I thought, yeah, he is generally fine, but like that, that kind of thing. Like he can't believe what he's seeing when a player. You know, there was a moment, wasn't there? Where actually, Gabrielle, I think, was waiting for for Matt Ryan to come out, and he, you could hear him shout "keeper," and he didn't look to see where the keeper was. And I was thinking, oh, this could be a bit of a, a bit of a slightly Mustafi moment here. Yeah, Brazilian Mustafi moment. Sure. Brastaffi? We don't need any of that. Anyway, you know, uh, but he got away with it by doing the thing that Xhaka does better than anybody in world football. Nobody in world football does the stop, stick your arse out, fall over, fall over, win a foul better than Granite Xhaka. He is world class. That's world his World class at that. Yeah. But he got away it, with like, it. But this is the world him, we're living uh, in a personalized kind of FIFA animation for that. Do you know what I mean? Just like when you're dribbling with Granite Xhaka and a guy comes within five feet of you, you can press the full down button uh, and you get an instant free kick. Oh, that'd be fun. All right. That'd be fun. So look, um, all in all, I think a decent day's work considering we made a lot of changes and, you know, we had to do something to kind of boost confidence ahead of Thursday. And I think a lot of the guys who played today are very much in contention for playing on Thursday in the second leg. Well, we'll get into that, as, we will. Uh, as you say. But to be honest, from my perspective, we just had to do something about the state of the league table. Last mm. night, we were 11. 11th. Mm. And I. it sounds so small and uh, arbitrary, but that thing of dropping into the bottom half was grim no it's really true grim. but like when people say there's nothing to play for in the premier league this season we get that the europa self-respect. league self-respect <laughs> pride all of those things you know those yeah. are important those are no, important i think you're right i think as i said at the top i think this game you know we got a clean sheet which they haven't been particularly easy to come by for us recently um 
we got the right players back out on the field. We got a goal for Aubameyang. Saw some promising stuff from Martinelli. Yeah. I think there was a lot to be satisfied with. I think context is also important. We played a team who Crap. are the worst team in the Premier League that know they're likely to stay up. <laughs> so, do you know what I mean? So it's yeah, kind yeah, of yeah, a yeah. perfect storm. Yeah, yeah, us. yeah, yeah. Like, and look, let's be clear. That hasn't prevented us in the past this season. <laughs> no, that's true. That's <laughs> from, true. From we haven't let that up. stop us. No, for sure. From, but like today, it was like no drama, controlled performance, deserved win, clean sheet, two goals, Aubameyang, Martinelli, blah, you know, rested Saka, rested Smith Rowe, more or less rested uh, Partey. Uh, mm. Gabriel got back in, got some minutes. Bellerin got back in, got some minutes. Matt Ryan got back uh, and had a good performance. And I think I've got a question or two about him. So, mm-hmm. so, so that's it. So, um, shall we leave it there for part one? Uh, Let's do that. We've got some questions. We've got some interesting questions, and we'll do those in part two, which is right after this. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnerBlog and at ArsBlog and also on the ArsBlog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an ArsBlog member on Patreon. I'm going to start... Uh, if you don't mind, if that's okay. Ah, feel free. Feel free. I will feel free. First question comes from Sandhill. We've got a couple of questions on the uh, same topic. Sandhill says, good evening. What are your take, uh, what's your take on the protests at Old Trafford? Could the unrest at several clubs push the government to make changes? And then we have one from Arse Arse Baby, and a few people have mentioned this. That He said, I'm not sure what the coverage uh, of the United protests and the pitch invasions were for your uh, uh, streams, he said. Streams yeah. We were watching legally. I uh, actually paid to watch, if you believe it. 
What a fool. Well, yes, uh, Sky uh, subscription, all that. He said, uh, over in the US, NBC spent half the day, uh, the game, in split screen with the in-studio crew eulogizing about how uh, despicable and terrible the protesters were. Maybe not eulogizing, but uh, complaining, I guess. Mm. Did Sky BT treat them similarly? How do you feel about this portrayal of the protest? Personally, my only complaint was how it impeded my viewing of the match, but fully support what their fans are wanting. So... What's your take on what went down this afternoon at Old Trafford? Well, first to say that actually Sky were sort of surprisingly restrained, I thought, during the coverage of the Newcastle game in terms of how much they cut to it. I think it was only once or twice, wasn't it, um, during Mm. the course of the 90 minutes, which given... Uh, the nature of the scenes that were unfolding, I actually, when I, when I later found out what was actually going on, I was quite surprised that they hadn't um, shown more. But I was grateful for that from an Arsenal perspective. Like there must have, what do you reckon there was some kind of a like inside help to let to, to get you know the the protesters into the stadium with kind of unfettered access into the stadium yeah. because like you you um you go in and out of the emirates sure and like it's Just point at my face and go that's my pass mate yeah and then they but open all the doors it's difficult to get in and out right hey charles watts couldn't get in um for the arsenal everton game because the protests were going on outside i hope he doesn't mind me saying that he did but, I, th- I saw him tweet something about it so i'm sure he's yeah okay yeah. so yeah he he was got caught in traffic and arrived late at the stadium. And because the protests were on, the security was so high, he had to sort of, you know, really make his case. Don't so you know, know who I am? He went on I... Twitter and was like, Look, Have it's you me. seen this video of me accosting Pablo Marie at an airport? It's me, Charles um, Watts of Gold. You've got to let me in. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, Manchester United, very much yeah. the opposite. Anyone can come in. Anyone I can don't know in. is the truth. I haven't paid enough attention to it yet to fully understand. No, I don't either. I uh, was just sort of, you know. Uh, I was thinking yeah, of like wonder. insiders at Old Trafford, security guards, stewards at Old Trafford, like being paid off by the protesters. I was like, come on, guys, get in here. Go, go, come on, quick, quick, quick. Yeah, I'm sure there was probably, a, there may have been a little bit of inside help because a lot of those stewards are supporters, aren't they? I guess, yeah. I guess so. Um, so what do I think about it? <laughs> I don't know. Ha <laughs> ha. Catchphrase. I, I, I haven't quite figured it out. Of course, in spirit, I absolutely support the protest. And I actually think that managing to get a game postponed, whether intentionally or not, I oh, presume I it was intentional. Yeah, I think so. Um, is a fairly powerful thing because, no. yeah. you know, the brand and I'm sure United and Liverpool fans will forgive me using that word, depends on sort of these big showpiece occasions being transmitted globally. Yeah, this wasn't like Man United versus, I hate to use keep using Burnley and West Brom as the the kind of like, this is the worst thing I can think of examples. But you know what I mean? This This is is, this Man United-Liverpool that they got postponed. I mean, do you think there was any cynicism about that in that, you know, United had a game on Wednesday... Uh, Thursday, sorry. They're a Thursday team like mm. us at Old Trafford. And this fixture today, the result could have meant handing Manchester City 
the title. N- I think Do you maybe think that was a factor. No, I think if there was, well, look, you can't put anything past football fans. No matter how petty you think it is, <laughs> there's, there's going to be some football fans who think it. I sus- I would say the difference is, and I. I I say this as well in an Arsenal context, given that in our last Premier League game there were protests. Yeah. Um, but I think the, the the difference is this was a Premier League game and it was from the Premier League that these these plans for the Super League, you know, they wanted to break away from that. Right, um, yeah. And the Premier League has the audience. It was Super Sunday on Sky. It was Super Sunday all around the world, Manchester United versus Liverpool. But I also think there's an element of like, well, Man United can still win something this season. So you don't shit where you eat in that sense by fucking up your chances of going to the uh, final of the Europa League. You don't want to get UEFA to kick you out of the competition. Well, that's yeah, exactly, exactly it. And I, I say this, you know, in the, the, the context of us as well, because I've seen people talking about, you know, what happens if Arsenal fans want to protest uh, on Thursday. and Thursday, da, 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 yeah. And like, I can't tell anyone what to do, but I do think that... We know the, UEFA are already pissed off with us. Yeah, I think the the... You know, if there are going to be more protests, and I'm not saying I'm not, a, I'm I I I wouldn't uh, support protest. I think they would be better served at Premier League games rather than the Europa League game on Thursday. And I'm not saying to people don't protest. If you want to protest on Thursday, fine. If you want to support the team coming into the stadium on Thursday, absolutely fine. But I don't think we can afford to give you away for any opportunity to fuck us over. Because, like, so, we've, like yeah. if they did, like, you know, it stems from what we did and what the ownership tried to do, you know what I mean? Yeah, and I guess in opposing the Super League, we're effectively proposing remaining in UEFA competitions, right? So yeah. it might be a bit odd and hypocritical to sort of start yeah. fucking about in that, even though none of us are under the illusion that UEFA are perfect. What do you think... So I think, you know, we probably both broadly... In fact, we almost certainly agree with what was behind the protest. And as, you know, United were taken over by um, the Glazers in a, a similar period to when the Cronkies started invested in, in Arsenal. And so we've kind mm. of um, experienced that journey concurrently. Although, as I recall, at the 2000 FA Cup final, Arsenal fans were taunting Manchester United fans about being owned by... That's Americans. right. Wasn't there like fake dollar bills and stuff like that? Yeah, fake dollar bills and USA charts and things like that, which, yeah, I, I'm sure uh, our American friends must reflect weirdly on, but that was the way it was then. And um, so, yeah, I, I think we all empathise with the United fans' position. How do you feel about the nature of the protest, the fact that they got in the stadium and there was criminal damage reportedly. Do you care about that? Do you think that's bad? See, on the one hand, you can say, well, you know, you shouldn't. You shouldn't break into the stadium. You shouldn't run around the pitch. You're not allowed to do that. It's against the law to do that. But tell me any protest that's ever been successful by being nice. You know, the yeah. uh, look, I don't mean that people should get hurt or people should be violent or whatever, but, you know... Sometimes you've got to pull down a few statues. Exactly. It is that. It's like there was some, there was some stuff doing the rounds, wasn't there? It's like, well, you know, protest all you want, but, you know, you can't disrupt things. 
you shouldn't disrupt that. And it's like, well, that's the whole fucking point of a protest. <laughs> like a protest yeah. is only effective if it inconveniences some people. Like if you if you've got five hundred people protesting, but they're over there in a paddock where you can't really hear them, what difference does it make to anything? You know? So I get yeah. I get the idea that like you can't be encouraging lawlessness or any of that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, people feel very strongly about this Super League thing. And I think it was a little bit of a reminder today that what's happened in the last couple of weeks hasn't just gone away because they came out with some bullshit statements and mealy-mouthed apologies about, we're so sorry, we'll rebuild the trust, etc., etc. We all saw what they were trying to do. We saw what they were trying to do for their own... Exactly, but for their own ends. Mm. Not for us as fans, not for the club as an entity or a sporting... um, institution you know what they tried to do was ring fence a load of fucking money for themselves and if united fans postponing a game and maybe a few things got thrown and a few barriers got knocked down or whatever like so fucking what so fucking what at the end Mm. of the day because you cannot bring about any kind of change with nice protest and again i think there's a there's an important thing to say is that it doesn't have to be like lunatics going crazy throwing hash uh uh, hatchets and machetes and things like you know that's not what i'm talking about beer at graham soonest I have a question about that a bit later on. Okay, okay. But you know, but 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 you know, you have to inconvenience people to make uh, those guys actually sit up and take notice. You know what? You know the way we talked about um, after the protests at the at the Arsenal game. Mm. Like, would the Cronkies? pay any attention would they give a shit like they're three thousand four thousand miles away stands in la josh is wherever the fuck josh is you know they're they're not on social media they're not like oh cronky out is trending i'm so unhappy yeah i tell you one thing the glazers wherever the fuck they are are now this evening looking at what's gone on and one of the biggest fixtures in premier league uh, history didn't take place today because people were protesting against them and they will be taking notice of that. Whether they give a fuck one way or the other, I don't quite know. Whether it will change anything, I don't know. But it they'll be, they'll be aware of it because you know, these are the games that, uh, that generate the, the, the interest and the revenue and the branding and the sponsorship and like what will what what's that fucking wine that Man United are the the sponsors of? The what? The, sorry, the, you know the wine. You know that really. Oh, Cassiero del Diablo. Yeah, where Wayne is, Rooney is like, they call they say, him. He is the devil. Whatever. They say another devil. <laughs> they say another devil is coming. <laughs> like that. They're not going to be fucking happy yeah. wherever they're from. Is it? Are they Chilean? I think that could be Chilean. Yeah. You don't want the Chilean wine people after you. But you know what I mean? It's like you you can't make a difference without this kind of thing. 
You just can't. Because otherwise it's, it's pointless. Stickers and protests and, you know, hashtags and all that kind of stuff. You know, I'm not, I'm not dismissing it or anything like it. But if you really want to elicit change, if you want people to take notice of you and your objections to something that go, goes from football to, to politics, to life, to local government, all of it, like this idea that there's a proper way to protest. Like, you know what you should do? You should be ni- you protest, but be nice. Well, Colin mm. Kaepernick was nice, wasn't he? Mm. All he did was kneel down. The most respectful uh, kind of protest you can make, you just, you're kneeling down. And still, that wasn't supplicant enough for some people. So, I, I you know... I don't know how you can win a fight without upsetting some people along the way. Yeah, I I see that. I do see that. I suppose what I would say, I think the other side of that is something like the Colin Kaepernick thing. It's that when there is a kind of dignity in protest, it can be very powerful. It can, but it's still dismissed. Or it's still belittled or, or, you know, what did... Maybe it doesn't elicit change as much as you might think. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's true. I, I think basically the trouble is that if protests become... Any protest attracts a few fringe lunatics, right? And the, the, what I worry is, given that I know how football fans are portrayed generally in the media, especially in this country, and have been for a long time, yeah. that if those fringe elements come to the fore, then this sort of fan movement will get tarred with that brush, if you see what I mean. No, I think it will be really easy for the media to dismiss mm. legitimate protests from football fans if it as, becomes violent yeah, at some point. Yeah, and it's like, or, oh, look, there they are again. Football fans are hooligans. Hooligan we can just, yeah, you know. That's my fear. I understand uh, that fear. I do. I I do understand that. Uh, but I also think that it probably suggests a a need for for solidarity among football fans in general. And I can understand why, like... Why would a fan of Crystal Palace or Southampton Burnley, or use Burnley. Burnley? Oh yeah, yeah, I forgot about them. You know, why would they give a fuck about Man United fans' objections to their owners or or Arsenal fans' objections to their owners? But our objections to their to the owners and to their plans are because we respect the the competition that we have with teams like Burnley who have beaten us. No, they didn't beat us twice. We lost to Burnley and we drew once. And you know what I mean? Mm. It's like, there is, there is a uh, togetherness at the heart of this. Absolutely. Yeah, Uh, definitely. And and I'm not going to condemn the actions of the Manchester United fans. Certainly not. I think that there is that real, that's one of the most encouraging things. I mean, that was kind of on the UK coverage we had, We've had Gary Neville and, and Jamie Carragher for Sky Sports. It's interesting because they are often their enmity from their rivalrous players comes across, but they have found a kind of unity 
in this stance. Um, I mm. think it made for quite interesting telly. I think uh, the other thing I think about the protest is it's incredibly powerful one today and it is symbolic, but there is another way to hurt or send a message to the people who fans are angry with, and that is economic and it is financial. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I get, yeah, sure, I get that, but I think that's an unrealistic one. I genuinely yeah. think that's unrealistic because people say, boycott the games, don't buy merchandise, don't go to get, don't buy your season ticket, blah, blah, blah. But like, you can't, you, there's an emotional investment in football that's so hard to get away from for many people that literally, the only person you're hurting with that protest is yourself because there is someone to take your place. You yeah, give up I mean, your here's, season here's a good ticket. question. Yeah, go on. Do you think that this would have happened, the United-Liverpool thing, if those United and Liverpool fans were allowed in the stadium? There is a good question. I don't know. I suspect not, right? Because ultimately, I guess you're right. Fans want to watch games. They want to go to games. But if they can, if they're not allowed in, it's less of a party to spoil. Yeah, but I mean, there could also be a coordinated pitch invasion or something like that, mm-hmm. yeah, which you know has the same kind of power. So rather than just breaking into the stadium, you know, you have people getting onto the pitch on mass. And look, uh, there are safety issues and all of that kind of stuff to 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 take into account and. Again, I'm just saying there are ways that that protest could have been as effective with people in the in the stadium. It's going to be really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, we are going to have fans in stadiums before the end of the season. There is a there's a depth of feeling to this that I think I think they thought if they would just apologize and issue a statement and say we'll engage and blah, you know, that people would just shut up. And I think it's mm. clear today that that's not the case. So it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays out. It is. It is. And I do have that nagging fear of, of it being demonised by, by the narrative, but well, that's, I hope not. Yeah, well, then it's on all of us as football fans to sort of say, well, no, this is, you can't do that. There are elements of the press that will absolutely do that. They'll jump on football fans because mm-hmm. that's the way they've been brought up and that's the way football fans were viewed in the 80s, in the 70s, in the 80s. And, you know, part of part of the worst tragedies that we've had in, in football down the years uh, have been because of the way football fans have been portrayed as Certainly. lowest of the low. And that's not the case. And we all know that's not the case. You know, just because you go to football games doesn't mean you're mindless or a thug or, or anything like it, you know. But but there are elements of the press that will jump on it because that's the way they operate. And they're as culpable for the things that have happened um, as anyone else. So Interesting times. Yeah. Uh, here's a question, similar but slightly different from mm. ground control on Discord. Is Arsenal, get, is Arsenal getting knocked out of the Europa League on Thursday our best chance of getting rid of the Cronkies? With no Super League and a restless fan base already, the lack of European football next season and all that entails, i.e. money, 
could finally tip the scales towards selling up. Do you think there's anything to that? Uh, yeah, I saw a few questions like that. Like, would you take going out of the Europa League if Amanda Cronkies were to depart and blah, blah, blah. Uh, I want Arsenal to win. Want Arsenal to win the Europa League. I want us to beat Villarreal on Thursday and I want us to beat Roma in the final after United's horrendous collapse in the second leg when uh, Henrik Mkhitaryan scores eight goals and then pulls his hamstring in the final. No, I want Arsenal to win. I, I see why people say that, but I can't... Like, I've seen Arsenal win one European trophy in my lifetime. And if you were to, like, the only possible way you could sell this to someone is if you were to say with 100% assurance that whatever comes after the Cronkies is better. Mm. And nobody can do that. So in the absence of that, with Arsenal in a European semifinal, I want Arsenal to win the European trophy. It doesn't mean that people's objections to the Cronkies are in any way invalidated or anything like it. But I just want Arsenal to win on the pitch. And I think our our issues with owners are exacerbated by what happens on the pitch. When it's not good, we hate the owners more. When we win, the owners are... Tolerable. Bordering on, yeah, tolerable. That's a good, really good way of putting it. Tolerable, bordering on irrelevant. I, I think I might catch a bit of flack for saying this, but as time goes by, I think I am actually more interested in changing how Arsenal is run than who it is run by, who it is owned by. I because I, I yeah. Do you know what I mean? I, I sort of have so much fear about what the alternative might be. Maybe it's just a case of better the devil you know. But I would, it, it, for me, it's more about is the club well run? That's that's mm. what I want to see change. Yeah, look, I think we talked about this the last day, didn't we? Like, yeah. you know, there are things that, uh, you know, are a consequence of the, the KSE ownership. But it's like the the idea, for example, that we haven't spent any money. Of course we've spent money. But have we spent it well enough? Have we generated enough money from the players that we've allowed to leave the club? No. So, yeah, I do see what you mean. I do see what you mean. And, I, you know, if someone comes along with a really, really credible takeover bid, then, like, I'm all ears. I'm absolutely all ears. I'm not convinced by something that happens off the back of a tweet from a guy who doesn't have the money to buy the club but can raise the money through venture capitalists and then leverage all that debt on Arsenal's uh, Arsenal in order to take over you know what i mean like that's not yeah. that's not convincing to me it's not regardless of his bona fides as an arsenal fan and regardless of the the fact he is simply not cronky that's not convincing. Somebody said something, I think it might have been Giant Guna on Arsenal Vision, who said something that resonated with me a little bit in that he, he said, whether we like it or not, Cronky is going to be rich forever. Like Daniel X's wealth mm. is sort of variable. 
and depends on how yeah, streaming yeah. works out and the success of Spotify and all these kinds of things. Whereas the Cronky is so insulated by Walmart and everything that comes with that that in a in a as much as he is a limiting factor, he is at least a stable factor. Mm. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. There's like, a horrible kind of security in that. There is, uh, you know, a a you know a, a history of things which in the internet world are the biggest thing in the world until they're not. Yeah, you know what I mean. And ultimately, a company that doesn't make money. I mean, obviously, you know, Spotify doesn't make money. It doesn't turn a profit. No, no. one knows if that will ever be, you know, the business mm. that it might be. Mm. I don't know. Anyway, listen, conky out, et cetera. It's but it's, it's complex. It is. All right. Let's get on to football. I've got a question. Okay. Um, yes, you've got one. I've got one. Oh, before we get on the, the football question, Super Numex, who's at, at never underscore melt, said... Could you actually be killed by a beer can? <laughs> <laughs> I thought about this a lot because I, I took the dog for a walk and I missed a lot of this coverage. And then I thought I, I, I taped it so I could watch it back because I was uh, fascinated to see, you know, what the dialogue was like. Mm. And it is a, there is a great bit where Graham Sooners talks about being killed by a can of beer. <laughs> it would have to be thrown at some velocity. I'd have to catch you at just the right angle, I think. Yeah, I mean, Don't look, you? you could shoot it out of a, like, uh, you know, in that episode of The Simpsons when Ned Flanders' wife dies because she gets knocked off the stands at a thing by someone who's shooting T-shirts out of a, like, a cannon-type sure. rocket yeah, yeah, launcher. Yeah. Like, if you had a beer can rocket launcher, definitely you could kill someone. But I also Would you condone the actions of the Manchester United fans if they did assassinate Graham Sooners? With beer cans. <laughs> beer cans in a T-shirt launcher. <laughs> <laughs> it would um, probably be the funniest moment ever seen on uh, UK sports coverage. There was a great bit as well where he talked about, you know, the fans have got flares and if one of those had got up here, could have taken off half your face. And it made me think about, like, I can imagine Roy Keane, like, getting half his face burnt and then emerging from hospital as, like, a supervillain, oh, you know? like Harvey Dent. Exactly. Batman, yeah. I feel like that's his destiny. But uh, could you kill Graham Sooners with a can of beer? Definitely. Definitely. I could do it. <laughs> I'd say we don't know for sure, but it's worth a try. Okay. Just trust me, I, I could do it. I could okay, do it. we'll get you the T-shirt. Yeah. We'll get you the T-shirt. No, no, I'm not, I wouldn't do it with the T-shirt launcher. I'd, you know, Just lob so, it over arm. No, 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 no. You just sort of, you need to like split the beer can open and then it becomes razor sharp. Oh yeah, they are sharp. And then you just like sellotape the bits of beer can to your knuckles. So you're like Wolverine. Right. And like arm and triore fused with Wolverine. <laughs> exactly. That's the end of Graham Sooners, as we know. Uh, and nobody could say he didn't thing. have it coming. Anyway, let's move on to football. Party time. Who's at party time? Like the herb, which is quite yeah. nice. He says, congratulations. You've both become the first duo manager in football history. I don't think we'd be the first. 
There have been some in the past, haven't there? Been like oh, yeah, Joy Gerard Houllier, famously. Yeah, Brian Clough and Peter Taylor were kind of that as well, weren't they? Yeah. Who is your starting eleven against Villarreal? So, are we going to argue about goalkeeper? I think it's. I would go Leno. I would also go Leno. But there'll be people at home who would not. Be going, you got to bloody pick Matt Ryan, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway. When I say at home, I mean in his home, his native country of Australia. No, there'll be lots of us fans who think that. But yeah, yeah. I would go Leno. Well, I think there's a question about okay. Matt Ryan, so we'll chat yep. about that. All right. Uh, at right back, who, James, like team meeting here, who are we picking at right back? Is it uh, uh, Cedric? Can't play there. Can't play there. I hear. I hear he's quite versatile. Um, I think. No, I'm not. I. I don't think we should pick Cedric at right back. I think you think you're going to say Hector Bellerin. I think I would. If it were, you know, if it was a, you know, a decision that I could make on my own, I would definitely pick. I would definitely pick Hector Bellerin there. I think I'm prepared to go with you on that one. I think he did well today. Yeah, I do too. I think he showed some good range of passing. I think he got forward well. Pardon me. There was plenty of room for him to... Oh, that was, I just burned. Uh, okay. a drink. But he... Uh, there was plenty of room for him to overlap because obviously mm. William was holding hands with Martin Odegaard um, in the middle of the pitch. That was astonishing at times. The the, the close... To, William just sort of stood wherever Odegaard was standing and then kind of like waved his arms around. As if like... What, yes. That was... Uh, the thing is, there were times where I thought he picked up some okay positions centrally and mm. I do think it helped Bellerin because it gave him somewhere to overlap but mm. it was at other times very strange and as if he was trying to give Martin Odegaard a cuddle um, maybe he was maybe he was he, he looks like quite a cuddly man but uh, I will let, okay let's pick Hector Bellerin it's between him and Callum Chambers mm. and I'm prepared to go for Bellerin alright so James we have a problem David Louise is out Got a yeah. hamstring injury. We need a right-sided centre half. What's your What's your th- initial thought on this? Um, well, I think we should think about centre halves as a pair because that's how our predecessor Mikel Arteta seemed to. Mm. Um, I think. Why 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 don't we think about doing it differently? Okay. Didn't really work out for that guy. Yeah. Uh, on the other side. Well, it's between it's Rob Holding, most likely, isn't it? It is Rob Holding, but we're picking the fucking team. So, I put to you that we should play Callum Chambers there. I like it. You're on. Yeah, I'd, I'd be in for that for sure. I, right. I, I, yeah, yeah. I thought I was going to be the one making that case. All right, I'm, I'm on. Jeez, this is good. This is good. Uh, le- uh, left-sided centre half. Gabriel. Yeah, I'm on with that. Now, left back is an issue. It's been a bit of a problem position. We haven't really had anyone to fill in there, even though we've got Johnny Versatile, uh, who's taken his versatile pills, but he can't, he can't seem to play there. Can I suggest this uh, this Saka guy? What about Saka? What about Saka? What do you think about Saka left back, James? I think we could argue over this one. No. I don't think it should be... If, if we're picking it, mm. I, I want to pick Shaka in midfield. Okay. So, Shaka, that is, sorry. Yeah, yeah, so, Shaka in midfield. 
So it's between Cedric and Saka. Uh-huh. Um, for left back. Mm. Oh, I'm just trying to think what I've got ahead, ahead of that. You've loads. You've great stuff to choose from ahead of that. Great stuff. There's all okay, let's do it. Stuff. Let's pick Saka. So we got Saka left back. By the way, I don't think Mikel Arteta is making any of these choices, but we'll have that conversation afterwards. Well, you know, when he listens to this podcast, he may well That's change true. his mind. So I assume we're doing a Partey Saka midfield. Yeah, we are. And in fact, should we skip ahead and say we've got a Bamiang up front because they're yes. the easy bits? Yep, I agree. We've got Ob up front. Right now, so we've, got we've three got slots to fill. We do. We've got an, uh, a central uh, attacking midfielder. Mm-hmm. We've got a left-sided attacker and a right-sided attacker. So, where do you want to start? I'll start with Pepe on the right. I'm good with that. Yeah? Yeah. I just think if you pick, if you put Saka at left back, you got to go Pepe on the right. All right. And now I think it does get quite tricky. A little bit. you got three for two, haven't you? I've got three for two. But I think after what he did today, and assuming that he's not absolutely crocked by the tackle, it's got to be Martinelli on the left. I don't know if I agree. Oh, bone of contention. This is the thing about joint managers. There's going to be, there's going to be rows. So here's what I'm thinking. Mm. You've already got Saka on that side. He's going to be pushing on. Okay. My instincts tell me that Smith Rowe is a more natural dovetail. But I remember Saka and Martinelli playing on the left-hand side last season a couple Mm. of times, and it went okay. My other thought is, is Martinelli the best sub of any of these players? That is a consideration, yes. Like, that is a consideration. I, With, without Lacazette, you've got a I Kelly, feel like he's the, the most likely to change the game from the bench of any of these guys. But so you're, you're, are we now going Odegaard as our central attacking midfield player? I would, based on yeah. when Aubameyang's played centrally with Odegaard behind him, there mm-hmm. has been an understanding there okay. in the past. Okay. And I think, I mean, Smith Rowe did come on and change the game. Do you remember the cup game against Newcastle? He came on and made a big mm. difference. Yeah, yeah. So he can do that from the bench. For me... You need something in reserve if it's I, yeah. not going well. And, and Martinelli... I think as well, I just sort of think, hold him back and then release him. You know, um, and because we're the manager, if it has to be half time, it can be half time. It doesn't have to be seventy-two minutes. That's true. It could be fifty-five. We can do it whenever we fucking want. But what are you prepared to? Are you prepared to yeah. come with me on that? I, I've, I listen. I followed your lead on Saka and Chambers, and yeah, I will. I will go with you on that because I think there is some logic to. As much as I would like to see Martinelli start, I think there is some logic to the idea that if we need to change something, like Eddie's not changing much. Balagoon, like a huge prospect, but like, come on. I He's, just think of all those players, mm, I think Martinelli is the sort of you need something you can... You need something on your bench that can change the game. Resuscitate a team. Yeah. And I, like, I think... I think 
Saka and Smith Rowe on the left-hand side is really exciting as well. Because there was yeah. this thing like, can Odegaard and Smith Rowe play together? Well, Smith Rowe has played out on the left with Odegaard and it's been good. So, yeah. And a triangle on the right of kind of Odegaard, Bellerin and Pepe with Partey feeding into yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exciting too. Yeah. Uh, that would be my team. And I would say uh, the team sort would be like, just win by lots of goals, please. Score more than them. You twats. Well, no, because if we score more than them, but they score two, we go out. If we only score one more, if you see what I mean. If we win three, two. Score five more than them, then. Score five more goals than them. You make things so complicated. I know. Well, it won't work out, dual managership. I don't know that it will. We're going to have a very public falling out, do the Sky Sports (laughs) interviews. It took us a while to get there, but do you think... (laughs) Arteta's picking that team. No. What do you think he'll pick? I think he'll pick Leno. He should pick Bellerin. I think he'll pick Holding and Gabriel and Shaka. He'll pick... Oh, you don't think he'll pick Holding and Marie? No. No way should Marie be starting this game. So you think he'll put Shaka in at left-back? So what's he going to pick in midfield? This is where I'm interested. I think he's going to pick Partey and like... I, I, see, the thing is... Is Elneny, it crazy? What? Go on. No, no, go on. What's crazy? I was going to say, is it crazy to suggest that he could pick one of Smith Rowe or Odin? No. Smith Rowe could do the Ceballos job perfectly well. could Saka do that job? <sighs> yeah. Yeah, he could. I mean, if, for if, sure. he, if, if he's insistent that he wants to keep Shaka as left back and he needs a guy in central midfield who yeah, can yeah. play inside and outside, then I'd rather it be Saka or Smith Rowe yeah, yeah. than El Nenny. I agree. I agree. And, like, he obviously likes El Nenny and, like, he's a good guy, but, you know, there's just. This is a game you have to win. So you've got to play players who can be front footed. And yeah, and also, Elneny's not a bad sub if we're in a good position, you know? Yeah. He's a useful guy to sort of solidify things and keep it Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Elneny, you know, like if you're else. going out to absolutely win a game, is Mohamed Elneny in your starting 11? No. Don't think he is. No, no, no. He's kind of a damage limitation guy. Um Mm. Yeah, but but that that could be interesting. I mean, that would be a really interesting selection if he went for someone like Saka in that role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Smith Rowe could do it. Options ahead of it. I think Smith Rowe could do it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, he could have done it the other night because, uh, you know, we talked about maybe taking Cedric off and pushing Xhaka into midfield, but he could have left Xhaka at at, at, uh, left back and taken Ceballos off, put Smith Rowe where Ceballos was and played Martinelli up front mm-hmm. you know true so he has options I think he'll play Aubameyang up front I think he'll play I think he'll play Saka think he'll play Odegaard yeah for sure yeah I do as well he picks him when he can yeah 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 I think he'll play uh-huh. him and I think maybe it'll be Pepe on the left Saka on the right I don't think he'll play Martinelli, no. No. I think he'll be the wild card, if you like. 
I hope so. Um, What about this question? What about it? Stuart Burnett on the Discord. Has Matt Ryan played his way into a permanent deal? Yeah. In, in, In as much as, like, if he were brought in as the number two goalkeeper, I would have no problem with that at all. Mm-hmm. There was a bit in the game earlier, where, which I really enjoyed, where he was kind of standing there. You know that bit? He just stood there waiting to pick the ball up and the the striker ran in. Mm. I just liked the personality of that. And I thought he was really, uh, really safe today in the air. Like some of his takes from crosses. Yeah, he's well on crosses. There was one where I was going, uh-oh, off. Oh, he's not a tall man. no. But he did well. Yeah, he did. Um, what is he? One point eight four. I mean, he's not short. That's only that? six foot. Just six over foot. six foot. It's six foot. Yeah, it's smaller than you. Yeah, but I mean, it's small for a goalie. It's interesting because I just, as we were having this conversation, tried to Google Matt Ryan um, in order to see how old he was, and it just came up Matt Ryan. American football quarterback and I just stared at it like I've gone into a parallel universe <laughs> um, <laughs> I was like what the hell but uh, Matt Ryan the who does he throw uh, for uh, he throws for the Atlanta Falcons I don't know if he's good or bad um, but Matt Ryan well, he's got two T's in his name um, our Matt Ryan has only got one T oh yes they, that must be why he did it yeah now, now I've just Googled. <laughs> this is mental. So I was like, all right, I'll Google Matt Ryan Australia. And it's come up. Matthew Ryan, a- a.k.a. Matt Ryan, is an Olympic level equestrian rider. <laughs> He's, he is 56 <laughs> years old. Well, right, I don't know it's about one him. T. It's one T. Fair play to him for, you know, dropping the T. Just no, I th- you know, there's something to be said for that. You know, superfluous um, letters and names. Matthew only needs one T. So Matthew David Ryan of Plumpton, Australia. Plumpton. (laughs) Sounds like a a children's book. Yeah, that's what's a Trumpton, wasn't it? Ah, yeah, exactly. Um, Welcome to Plumpton. uh, (laughs) We're all having a very jolly day here at Plumpton. Until time once again in Plumpton. (laughs) Unfortunately, someone tried to kill Graham Sooners with a beer can. (laughs) (laughs) And and Fabian Shah has been naughty again. (laughs) Um, Matthew David Ryan, the Australian professional footballer, is 29 years old. Okay. Young for a keeper. And he has one year remaining. Young for a keeper, short for a keeper. Are we sure he's an adult man? He is. He has one year remaining on his deal at Brighton. It answers the question. Yeah, I'm up for it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Like, okay. oh, you could go and spend quite a lot of money on a number two. I think, actually, I think the answer to this question, it, it all depends on how you feel about Bernd Leno. Because if you're sort mm. of happy, broadly happy with Bernd Leno, and you're like, let's just get a backup in, I think Matt Ryan is an expedient a good way to do that. But if you're like, the backup needs to be someone who can push Bern Leno out of the first team, mm. I, with respect to Matt Ryan, I'm not sure if he is the guy for the future in that way. But the, what happens? You get an Emmy Martinez situation. Exactly. That's what happens. Like your number two goalkeeper needs to be good enough to fill in for a little bit and that's kind of it. That's it. 
Mm-hmm. You know, we, and if we could get Matt Ryan, a goalkeeper who's Premier League experienced, who if, if Leno picks up an injury, you're putting in someone who has played regular football at this level. I think you're in a pretty good position. Mm. There aren't a lot of teams who can say that. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Uh, so, and he's a he's a gooner. He's a gooner as well. Yeah. Like, I, I know we're supposed to make objective decisions about players, but we are fans at the end of the day. And he's a fan and that's cool. Yeah. What a fucking great time he must be having at the moment. He must be loving it. I think he's going to play more Premier League games, to be honest. I think so. But I think too. he's Why done not? enough. I think he's. I think he's looked solid. I think he'll be affordable. Um, I thought his distribution was pretty good today. Yep, I, I I sent a message to Andrew Allen just saying I I like this guy. Like I haven't seen a lot of him in an Arsenal shirt, but I'd be quite happy for him to be our number two goalkeeper for sure. Well, as joint manager, I sign off on that. All right, cool. Here's a question from Sean Taplin, who says, if Lacazette and Eddie are moved on this summer, would you be happy going into next season with Aubameyang, Martinelli and Balagoon as our strike force if it meant we invested in the midfield to contribute goals? For the record, I would be. So Sean Taplin has made his position very clear. When he says invest in the midfield to contribute goals, does he mean give Elneny a new contract? I think so. Seven okay. year, seven year deal. Um, yeah, I've thought about this. I don't know. Do you know what you think? Talk me into it. Persuade me. Ah, uh, it's difficult because, like, in my mind, it's like the young guys, the old guys there, Aubameyang, and he takes them under his wing and he shows them all the goal-scoring ways and, you know... Which cars to buy. Exactly. (laughs) How shiny and (laughs) chromey their car should be. (laughs) But... He teaches them... Yeah. He teaches them how how to put silver foil all around your car. <laughs> and they have the shiniest cars in the world. No, like you know, Martinelli obviously. Welcome to Plumpton, <laughs> where all the cars oh, are so super shiny. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, look, in an idea, yeah, like best case scenario, it'd be amazing because you do have options in your wide areas. You know, assuming that we we. We drive Willian out to the woods. Don't we want Martinelli, like, as an option in the wide areas, though? And does that make that an issue? That's what Arteta said today. He said, I see him in both. He's got Mm. the potential to be both a striker and a wide player as well. So I have a feeling that if Enkedia and uh, Lacazette leave... There is a need for like a middle ground guy, if that makes sense. You know, I feel like yeah, I agree with that. Balagoon is a huge potential, but like he hasn't played a great deal. And are we are we really going to give him the time to develop in our first team when maybe some of that development should happen elsewhere? That would be my preference. I think if it was up to me, I would... You know, Balogun said, I want to be pushing for first-team places next season. And the club seems to be saying, we look forward to having him part of things. If it was in my hands, I would send him out to play on loan. Mm. And 
I would want Arsenal, if Lacazette goes, I think it's surely a formality that Nketiah goes, that I, I would be looking at a striker to come in. I mean, I, I hesitate to say this, but almost... <laughs> like, even if it's like a Matt Ryan, I think we just need someone who is a bit more experienced. Um, someone in their mid-twenties, you know? Mm. I tend to agree with that. Like a 25-year-old or, you know, 23-year-old with some football behind them who... And I think we should be smart about it. I think we should pick someone for variety. Like, I think we should look at it and go, well, what have we got and what have we not got? You know? Like... What kind of striker we have. Yeah. 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 Like, and if we lose Lacazette and we lose Nketiah, then let's look at what the profile that Arteta found interesting about them and try and find someone who really is strong in those areas. I, I think that's where I am. I think Balogun's clearly a massive talent, but I do think he's asking a lot. Yeah, it would be asking a lot. He's barely I mean, Lacazette's our top scorer. Like, Still. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, if Balogun scored... And Ketia scored six this season, right? If Balogun scores six next season, that would be decent. But, like, I can't see him scoring 17, you know? Mm. No, me Maybe neither. He could. But, you know, it does happen. But I just... I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, I think I'd want a bit more security than that. Yeah. I think I would uh, too, yeah. But uh, we'll see. We'll see. Um, see what happens in Plumpton. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um Sean Hensley, since we played Newcastle, do you feel see a future for Joe Willock at the Arsenal? Seems to be more of a goal scoring midfielder than than that we have lacked since we let Ramsey leave. But is there any room for him at the Emirates? I do, and I know a lot of people don't. But I see a player who can score goals from midfield, and I see a team that does not score goals from midfield. Danny mm-hmm. Ceballos, no goals from midfield. Granishaka, no. one goal. Mohamed El Nenny scored his Mohamed El Nenny scored his first Premier League goal today after joining the club in what twenty seventeen. Well, something's clicked for him now, though. Do you know what I mean? I well, don't it's all think that shooting going back from here. It's all I that shooting practice. I think we can count on El Nenny for fifteen to twenty next season. Right? Okay. Well, then, fuck Joe. Like, no, I mean, I, I, you know, we've got a lot to do in midfield because. Like, I do think there's probably a decision to be made about El Nenny, mm-hmm. given he's got a year left on his contract, however much Arteta likes him. I think he's another guy who will run run into the thistles for Arteta if he tells him to do it. But mm. he's got a year left. Torreira, it's, it's over, right? Ginduzi, that's over as well. Sobias is going back to Spain with his no goals and one assist or whatever it is. So I think... Some of the depth in the central midfield area has to be made up by players that we have, Mm. right? We're going to have to spend money, no question, to improve midfield, but some of it has to come from within. Miguel Aziz. Miguel Aziz. But he's he's like, is he not the midfield Balogun? 
Yeah, I mean he's a he's a, a tiny child. Yeah, yeah. I I I, 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 I think it'd be nice if he plays some Europa League games or something. But uh, well, uh, listen, we won't have Europa League next season. We've either oh, got Champions League. <laughs> I'm so used to being in it. We've got Champions League or nothing. Hmm. Well, yeah. So so you think Joe Willock's got a part to play? Do yeah, you? I do. Even if Newcastle. And I can't see Mike Ashley doing this, but say, here's £20 million. Well, if they say, here's £20 million, that's a different decision. We'll talk. Then we'll talk again. Yeah. We'll have a discussion as the joint managers and we'll sit I down. Don't, yeah. I, I don't think I'd be sending him out on loan again. No, no, That's no, what no. Newcastle apparently would like. Another year of Joe Willock on loan. I don't no. see how that helps us. No, it doesn't. His, his value is going to be high this summer, right? Like... He's done really well. Scored against West Ham, scored against Spurs, scored against Liverpool. He scores goals from midfield. I'm not saying he's the most complete, all-action, all-round midfield player we have at the club. I'm not saying he's the answer to all of our problems, but I am saying that like, in a season where we're going to need to bolster the squad from within, he's definitely an option for me. Mm, interesting. Mm. I... I I really like Joe Willock and I, I'm sure he'll score goals whatever happens to him. Like, he's just got that knack, you know? He's really got the ability. Mm. Um, I think given our financial situation, if there is a good offer for him, I think it might be difficult to turn it down. But sure. in a pure numbers terms, you're right. Central midfield is an issue. Like, I would sell Eddie... And I would sell Ainsley and Cedric and... Reese Nelson? Maybe Reese Nelson before I'd sell... Well, I would maybe hang on to Reese Nelson. I would sell Willian because Reese Nelson could come in and do just as much as Willian, right? Mm. I'd sell... I think I'd sell all those guys before Joe Willock. Yeah. The, the the one um, that gives me slight consideration is Maitland-Niles, just because in, in terms of how useful he is by playing so many positions. He doesn't want to play where you want to play. He really doesn't want to play. He doesn't them. want to play there. He doesn't want to play them so much that he was prepared to go to Sam Allardyce's West Brom. Yeah. So I he's that, made his bed. I think He's so. got Sam Allardyce in it. Oh, Ainsley Maitland-Niles in bed with Sam Allardyce is not an image I need at this time on a Sunday no, night. Final question. Final question. We've been going too long. I am the Doog who is at I underscore am underscore Doog says, sure. why have I had James's Magpie song stuck in my head for the last three months and what can be done about it? What can be done? I don't think there's anything that can be done. I think it's. Uh, I think the Magpies, they want it there, haven't? Don't they? You know, this is all part of their plan. How are the Magpies in your garden? Fat twats. Really? Yeah. There's one what are they of eating? them. Literally last night, there's one in the area. There was a cat sitting on the wall in the house opposite, and, and the, the magpie, magpie just ate it. No, he tormented it to the point where the cat went, "Fuck this! I'm getting out of here." Like, he literally flew behind him and pecked him on the tail, flew in front of him and did his, like, in front of him. The cat tried to eat him. Magpie was too quick for him. 
they're bastards. They are evil. They, they really are. are. Like, they're um, not trying to launch themselves as torpedoes into people's eyes, like some of the really evil magpies, but they're re- they torment Lana so much. She hates them. Awful. The Australian magpies are the most evil. We have established that. We have. We need to get Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan here. could sort this out. Diplomatic incident going on here with magpies. M- Matt Ryan could figure it. He could. We should sign him, if only for his magpie-related experience. What do you reckon his magpie-related experience is? I think he was raised by them. (laughs) I think he was abandoned as a child. (laughs) And raised by them in the small town of Plumpton. Yeah. (laughs) They built him a little nest, like the penguin in Batman. (laughs) And that's how he's so agile. (laughs) The magpies, they taught him to fly. Well, at least after all this time, we've discovered there is some upside to magpies. Yeah. Because he caught, caught lots of crosses today, so. And we beat the magpies. We this beat weekend, them as well. All right. Shall we leave it yes, there? Yes, let's call it a day. All right. Thank you, as always, for being here. Thank you for listening. We will preview the Real game during the week as well for you. Uh, but for now, let us say goodbye from Plumpton where all the naughty children live (laughs) (laughs) to kick Gabriel Martinelli in his ankles. Very naughty. Very Very naughty. Naughty, naughty. All right. We will catch you on the next one. Until then, take it easy. Bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.